Welcome to Highbrow Lowbrow. I'm Josh Kirshen. I'm Cooper Gagan. Each week we pick a topic and pick two movies that fit that topic. One highbrow, one, one lowbrow. Brow. Except this week we're not doing that because the thing I didn't tell you earlier is that uh, every other week we don't. We just uh, we call them lowbrows. We just sort of chat, have some cool topics, things we couldn't do in a normal episode because they're not about movies, but sometimes they're about movies. It's mostly about movies, but I think especially this week it's a lot of non-movie stuff. Yeah. So if you're really looking for some movie stuff, uh, listen anyway because the stuff is also interesting. <laughs> yeah. But if you're really looking for movie stuff, listen to and any of other other fine episodes. Yeah. The last episode or the next episode. Yeah, those are your options, or the one you know every other. You understand how? Why are we explaining work? this as if all of our listeners don't already listen to it? <laughs> you never know. I feel yeah. like I feel like you know we're coming at it from the perspective like we're like hardcore fans of us, so we yeah. know all the things. Oh, got, since day one, I've liked me. But we've got a lot of like casual fans in that you know just most people are casual fans of anything, mm-hmm. so they might not understand. That's why I always explain it. Yeah. Uh, so the first topic for today is a thing you explained to me. Uh, do you want to start it off or do you want me to kick this off? It is the Machete Order, which is a, it comes from a magazine or a blog called Machete, and they came up with a uh, non-standard order, which which they announced as the best way to watch Star Wars. So it's basically, I need to actually look up the Machete Order now, because it's, you watch, uh, it's basically the prequels become kind of like a, like a flashback in the middle of the main series. Right. You do. I mean, you start with Star Wars, like yeah. the Star Wars. And then you, af- after Empire, you flash back to the prequels as like a, now that it's like, now that you know Darth Vader is his, is Luke's father, spoilers for Star Wars, fuck you. <laughs> uh, you do the pre, you, you, you kind of like delve into him is the idea. Yeah. So it's A New Hope, which is just Star Wars. That movie's just called Star Wars. Right. So you start with Star Wars, Empire, and then you go back to Attack of the Clones Revenge of the Sith, and then you go forward again to Return of the Jedi. Right. So it's basically, yeah, after the reveal of Luke, I am your father, you go back and figure out what this guy's deal is. Right. And then also it just totally omits Phantom Menace. Oh, just not, they just like don't give a shit. Yeah, they're just like, don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's kind of like the other version of Machete Order that I can think of is just being like Stranger Things season two. Just don't watch that one episode where she goes to like the city and becomes a goth for becomes like a punk for a second. Right. Yeah. The one that which, which you did, I think, and you liked quite a bit. Yeah, I did. I did exactly that. Except for then when she comes back with the new outfit, you're kind of like, why? I mean, I knew why, but right. The, the, the vestiges of the mistakes are still there. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to fix it entirely, but. You know, that's fine. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's like, I mean, not, this isn't like a real version of that, but like, you know, if you, you could just like not watch Indiana Jones 4 or don't watch Godfather 3, like people who just like decide not to continue, consider things canon because they think they're lame. Like that's like the, the medium, that's like the mini version of that. Yeah, I think probably the most common machete order for non-Star Wars properties is just omitting certain parts of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I've got Father 3, I guess. But that's just like stopping it early. Right. That's just like, you know, you buy, instead of buying the set, you just buy the each Blu-ray individually. It's funny because the Machete Order essentially turns the prequels into a Godfather 2 type situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, well, I mean, really, okay, so here's a version of this that's kind of crazy, but I, I I think this would be fun to do for Star Wars, uh, if Topher Grace is listening. Um, so there's someone who edited together every single Marvel movie. Oh, I thought you were going to say, there's someone who edited together the Star Wars movies. Like, yes, his name is Topher Grace. Right, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to it in a second. Okay. Um, he edited together every Marvel movie uh, chronologically. And I'm not saying he, like, stitched together each full movie. He took every individual scene. Oh, and that's stitched wild. it together into, like, a 50-plus hour at this point, like, film that mm-hmm. goes completely chronologically. Uh, 
it's insane. Apparently, it starts with like 20 minutes of like Odin narrating things that happened with him and the Frost Giants because a lot of Thor movies have a lot of that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> and then, you know, there's like stuff in the, all the flashbacks from the 40s. And then, you know, you just do like Captain Marvel comes early because that takes place in the 90s, all that stuff. Uh, I feel like that would be kind of interesting for Star Wars to kind of pepper in the flashbacks to Anakin as you're kind of telling the story of Darth Vader. Too. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. I wonder, is that the, that's not the Topher Grace cut, is it? No, I actually have no what, idea what, what the is his is. cut. He has like a big cut of all the movies together. I think he cut together um, the, the prequels. prequels only. Yeah. I, 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 I wish I knew this. Because the Topher Grace thing I know more is that he's supposedly either did or is working on a cut of The Hobbit that he's cutting down all the Hobbit movies into just what's in the book to be like one, you know, two and a half hour long, actually like feasible, manageable movie instead of kind of the big, you know, action epics that they kind of was into. Uh, I have also not seen any of the Topher Grace cuts. And we are, we do mean Topher Grace, the actor. He also is just sort of like a fan, like nerd editor. Yeah, he knows how to edit, which is cool. Very talented one by all accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apparently he did edit all 10 Star Wars movies into one giant movie really all time so including uh solo or including rogue one because there's three of each trilogy and yeah, then rogue one are... and solo are featured as flashback motifs oh so he did 11 uh this says 10 oh so maybe he must have not this does that article predate rise of skywalker it might that might be it mm, this is from 2019 oh so that would have been right or right when uh rise of skywalker came out in 2019 so that probably tracks yeah. Oh, it says the new trilogy. So it's three. Right. Six. Okay, let's do math real quick. Seven, three plus three plus three is nine. And then Rogue One and Solo are each one yeah. each. So that adds up to 11. Right. So then I don't know. <laughs> it says 10 movies. I don't know which one he took out. You know, he just takes out like Empire Strikes Maybe Back. Maybe he took out Phantom. Maybe he did the same thing. Oh, yeah. That would actually uh, make the most... I, ju- I just dropped my chapstick. It's fine. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to leave it in. Oh, Make yeah? it a note to leave that in. <laughs> so that we can, I can remember to pick up the chapstick later so it doesn't get like grounded into my carpet. <laughs> so I can remember to pick I'm up like the chapstick. I'm listening to the episode like a month from now. I'm like, God damn it, the chapstick. <laughs> For what it's worth, it's like it's like Aquaphor. It's like the... So it won't... It's not actual... Cha- man, okay. Brag. <laughs> Better for, Apparently, chapstick's bad for your lips, but Aquaphor or like, you know, yeah. like, like Vaseline or whatever is good for your lips. Okay. That's like the new thing. Oh shit. Now we're now chapstick is poison. It's like the thing where like eggs were good, but then they were bad. Or like right. milk was good, but then like skin milk was okay. Like it's like, you know, now yeah. it's like chapstick's bad. Okay. But then maybe it'll be good later. Yeah, and then later on it'll be like, you should eat chapstick. Right. Yeah. For like <laughs> to make you and you'll like live longer. It's like the wine thing. Right. People like if you drink a glass like people would drink a glass of wine every night, like live longer. And then people use that as, as an excuse to like house a bottle of wine every night. It's like that's not really what they meant. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like also you could just like eat grapes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> It's like in the in the tier of shit that's not good for you, having a glass of wine every night is like on the upper end of that tier, yeah. is my understanding. And also like it might be correlative or something weird. I don't right. know. Well, there's that whole like, you know, like, like oh, like Fran- the French will have like wine with dinner all the time. They're very healthy. And like, oh, they're also their portions are a third of ours. Yeah. Yeah. And they're and also chain smoking and that's bad. Yeah. And they're also like, I think, like overall much thinner than Americans, I think, right. on average. Yeah. I mean, it's the portion thing again. Yeah. And I don't I, I don't fucking know. And they're just beautiful in French. And right. It's They're just the French. That's just how it is. Yeah. <laughs> just go to France. Don't drink wine. Anyway, whatever. Take that wine, people. Yeah. Uh, what were we talking about before Machete I got my chapstick? order? Grace, Grace, Dover Grace order. <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah. Did he cut out? We were trying to count to ten movies. Right, and we were debating whether or not he cut out *Phantom Menace*. Yeah. I guess it's. I guess that might be the one that just doesn't have an effect on the actual arc of anybody at all because he's a child. It's 
funny. Yeah, it do, I think it is the one that's probably the most easily cut out because it doesn't really have anything to do with the continuity of the next two. Right, because, yeah, he's a child. there's like a huge jump in, the, in between. He just meets Padme then, but, like, that doesn't really matter because, you know, they might as well just, like, have, you know, met. Or there's, like, the... Well, no, the shit with the Senate happens right, in the other movies. Yeah, and then, I mean... Um, oh, yeah, and the weird thing is, I guess you have... Obi-Wan loses Qui-Gon, and that gets him on this mission to figure out who was working with Darth Maul. But in theory, his biggest emotional like uh, adversary should be Darth Maul, because he never sees Sidious or anything, I don't believe. So that doesn't actually affect his arc. Oh, he doesn't doesn't fight um, Christopher... Christopher Lee? No, because they think he's like a... uh, No, I think Dooku only comes in in the second one. Right, yeah. Yeah. I was just watching bits of... uh, the two towers and uh Christopher Lee's fucking great. He's incredible. He's so good at everything. Oh yeah. You've heard the story where he like explained to Peter Jackson how what it sounds like when a man gets stabbed? No. Oh, it's oh, great. Oh, because he was in like World War Two? Yeah, yeah. He was he, a spy. Was he like is it like him and Roald Dahl? Was that what it was? Yeah, him, Ian Fleming, Roald Dahl. It was like this like fancy like they were actually like gentlemen spies. Right, yeah. Like there, there's like uh I think one it, their official mission was to set Europe ablaze. <laughs> and like so with this fire fashion <laughs> and being cool. So the scene in uh Lord of the Rings where uh well actually it's not even in um this is in the extended edition where Saruman gets stabbed by Wormtongue. It's in Meet the Feebles. What? What are you saying? Meet the Feebles is a Peter Jackson movie. Oh, okay. It's like a fucked up parody of the Muppets. So in this scene, <laughs> in the extended edition, so they're filming that and Peter Jackson is directing Christopher Lee to like scream in a certain way and he gets stabbed. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Lee like took him aside apparently and said like, that's not what it sounds like when a man gets stabbed. <laughs> it sounds like this. And he goes like, and he's just like, what it actually sounds like. you can't like. breathe because you're getting stabbed or whatever. Right. The assumption being that he knows when he has seen a man get stabbed in the back. Yeah. Because uh, he's a cool ass man. Was a cool ass guy. <laughs> yeah. We are, again, we're pro murder. We love that. That makes us like him. <laughs> you ever listened uh, to Christopher Lee's like symphonic heavy metal album about Charlemagne? No, but that sounds fun. It's worth, it's worth a listen. I'm not going to say it's like good because it's a symphonic heavy metal album about Charlemagne, but like yeah. it's just sort of demented that it's something that he like really was passionate about and put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad, I think my dad met him because when he was an ADR mixer, he said he was wonderful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he cool was just too. like a very cool professor. <laughs> uh, so in general, talking about machete orders. Oh and yeah, fan engagement and fans choosing how they want to. I feel like there was another stuff. another swap. Oh well, I guess the the other is like omitting movies, and then also chronological order is the big one, which you mentioned with the uh, Marvel. Which right. I think my sister was watching all the Marvel movies in chronological order, which is funny because she's not, as I understand it, not normally a Marvel person, but she's like, yeah, it's just like relaxing. It's the thing that people don't matter. Do. It's the thing that people do, like not watch them in order they came out, but watch them in chronological order instead. Yeah. Um, I think Jess did. I think my, you know, my fiance did it. Yeah. Um, uh, you could do that with Indiana Jones because Temple of Doom is a prequel. Right. But then you have to start with the Temple of Doom, which I mean, I like Temple of Doom. I understand yeah, the things like, that are wrong with it because there are many. It's not the best way to start Indiana Jones. No, but it does have... I, I made this argument to you before, but for our listeners, my argument in favor of Temple Doom is twofold. One, the mind, the mind card race. Yeah. It's great. Classic, iconic, great. Two, a man screams and rip tape, put, plunges his hand into another man's chest, pulls out his beating heart again while screaming. So really, your Topher Grace edit of, of that movie would be you would just take those two scenes and put them in Last Crusade. 
I guess, yeah. Just like, as, and, oh, the flashback at the beginning of Last Crusade. Okay, here's my pitch. Okay. You do Last Crusade. You take out the um, opening with R- River Phoenix as Young Indy. Oh, yeah. And you replace it with the minecart race and the guy pulling his chest out. And then you just dive right into Last Crusade. I don't hate it. And then honest, honestly, just throw in, like, I don't know, ADR in uh, Sean Connery, his like inclusion in that flashback, because I'm pretty sure that's the whole point of that. Yeah. Uh, remember the Young Indiana Jones TV show? I never watched it, but I didn't know about it. I feel like I watched a couple. I think I caught some episodes. Mm-hmm. I remember liking it. It's like Hardy Boys, basically. Yeah, pretty much. With a way up. Yeah, there's no reason. I, it. Funny enough, I feel like a lot of these spinoffs and tie-ins that used to like really piss me off. Would be like, you know, why are you stepping on these great things by doing like a cheap like a cash grab of like you know Young Indiana Jones or mm-hmm. um, I don't know Young I, Sheldon. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> But like now, I'm just sort of like, why not like give a, a new writer, other writers, like a leg up to get to get a show out? And just if you need to use fucking Indiana Jones to do a Hardy Boys show to like, you know, get some good stuff out there, then like, fine, whatever. You use the brand. The brand has no value except what you make with it. Yeah, weirdly, with the the young ones, if it's enough of a kind of flashback, it's essentially a new show. Yeah. So it, I'm kind of run back around to being okay with it. Yeah, and w- you know, if it's bad. Raiders is always going to be there. Yeah. In in theory. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's like kind of it's funny because I'm like kind of up in arms. Well, no, no, I'm not I don't care about them making new Star Wars movies. I'm just like these are bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to like them. Uh I've heard I mean they're really making a strong pivot to TV though with the yeah. Star Wars. You know, they've got Mandalorian obviously, Boba Fett, Andor, uh the Ahsoka show is coming out. Is an Andor out. show? A- Andor. Oh, Andor. A N D O R. It's oh, I uh, don't even know that one. It's uh in Rogue One, the like city where Diego Luna's character is like doing like, you know, spy stuff oh, in the cool. opening. So it's going to be all set there. I think it's going to be all be a Rogue One uh, prequel with some of those characters. Oh, okay, whatever. Yeah, it's supposed to be. I mean, I think the early buzz is good. Um, I want an Endor one. There was an Ewoks TV show, I think, in the eighties. I believe you. Let's redo it. There's a couple Ewoks movies too. I haven't seen them. Wait, I like have the Battle for Endor. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah, I have it on my my Plex, and I haven't watched it because there's never a time when I'm like I'm like. It always sounds fun on paper, but I know it's going to not actually be that fun. <laughs> I mean, so I guess that does circle back to this idea of fans choosing how to watch things and, and picking because, like, the dumb version of that is people believing Daenerys's name is Khaleesi in Game of Thrones. Yeah, but that's like not like a will. That's like a misunderstanding as more than like a willful. Because I think of like the machete as kind of a willful right interpretation of a movie. Yeah, so the different now. I, I guess I'm just trying to make a connection between just showing how in general. I think we, as much as rigorous as I think we often are about like what is and is not canon or how we watch mm-hmm. things, I think a lot of people do a lot of these kind of smaller uh, shortcuts or just mistake or just misinterpretations of how of show and like everyone's experience of watching things is going to be radically different like that. Honestly, I'm I don't even really consider those to be mistakes a lot. Well, dep- depending on what it is, yeah. it's because also having I was an English major in college and mm-hmm. so much of being an English major is essentially doing that but for books yeah. where you're just like oh like what if we looked at this from like a colonialist perspective where it's actually about you know post colonialism or yeah. we look at it from like a gender perspective where it's actually about gender where like you kind of know that that was probably wasn't the intention but you're like we're going to put this layer on it and fill in the in places of ambiguity with this interpretation mm-hmm. And it's just like a fun game. I always found it to be like a fun game yeah. to do with books. So like doing that with movies, doing like the, the kind of headcanon stuff. Some people get up in arms about it. They're like, oh, it's like not literally the text of the movie. I'm like, well, yeah, but if you can kind of like fill in the little bits of ambiguity with kind of whatever you want, as long as it makes like logist, as long as it's like rigorous, logistic, like logically rigorous. Yeah. I, and I, I think in general, with the exception I'll get to is 
it really, however you want to engage with art is good, I think. Yeah. I think, if, you know, whatever you get out of it that enriches your life mm-hmm. is good. Yes. I think where this starts to get dicey for people... Is when you is, start screaming back at the creators about it? Uh, that, in general, <laughs> when you start to yell at other people because their interpretation is not yours. Right. Because you are engaging with it in a certain way and someone else engaging it with it in a different way. And that doesn't make that shouldn't make you enemies, but for a lot of people, especially on the internet, yeah. it seems to. Yeah. Yeah. And then also uh, feeling thinking that creators owe you something because you have an interpretation of right a piece of, of a piece of art. Yeah. I mean, so that I, I have it. We don't have to get super into it because this We've is not talked about it with, before. But yeah. the idea of shipping, you know, oh, yeah, uh, shipping for I guess if you don't know, it's when you just it, it's short for relationship thing, I guess. But mm-hmm. that's where it comes. Basically, when you just decide you really want these two characters to be in a relationship, and sometimes that pushes out to not just I want these two characters on this TV show to end up together, but to they are canonically together, even though it's not explicit in the text. Yeah. And uh, I think apparently that often gets very intense for people online who will argue with each other if they don't believe in it, or they'll yell at creators online if it doesn't come to pass by the finale of a show or that's, a series. That's funny because I always thought shipping was just the desire for them to get together. And I didn't realize it was also <laughs> assuming that behind the scenes they are together already or it, that I guess or that there is some sort of attraction. It can be sense. it can be both. Yeah. And I think the more toxic one is often the belief that they are already together, because if you disagree with that, then people, especially who people who have a really emotional connection to those characters being together it, that that's where you get a lot of ugliness online, and yeah. I think if you want to believe, watch a show and believe two people are secretly dating or are actually will end up together after the show ends, I think that's great. Just don't tell me about it, and or tell me about it, and if I happen to disagree, just agree to disagree or say yeah. your case or whatever. And ulti- ultimately, this is all boils down to just don't be a dick to people about art. Yeah, and also uh, don't interact with the creators of your art in any way. <laughs> yeah, they owe you nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. fuck you. <laughs> uh, that kind of reminds me of the. I guess I accidentally did a version of that for Friends because. Mm-hmm. I think I read somewhere that um, Joey and Phoebe were secretly like banging behind the scenes for the entire show. <laughs> like that as like a as like a fan theory. Yeah, as like a fan theory. That's and kind it, of fun. Yeah, it's really fun, and it would kind of make sense. But then I realized I like went so like for a long time I was like my fun fact was like oh yeah you know that they were, oh no I think it was like my fun fact was that like it actually was like something the writers intended that's mm-hmm. like kind of like a it's like snuck in there it's in kind of ways. it's kind of like in there where it's like there's seen there's like certain episodes where they're both gone at the same time or whatever the fuck yeah uh and then i looked back and i read reread the article where i learned that it turned out it was just that um joey and phoebe the the actors who matt leblanc and um lisa kudrow lisa kudrow like pitched to the writers what if they were banging the entire time the writer's mm-hmm. like that's funny but we don't want to do it right so oh. it is uh canonically not what happened right <laughs> But I was going around telling people that it was true. That's funny, though. It would be great. I would have liked it if they did that. Yeah. Not necessary, but it's fun. I mean, just stuff like that, I think, is like a very healthy fandom where you're, you know, you're just kind of thinking about stuff. Wouldn't be funny if this wouldn't be funny if that, you know, yeah. you choose to believe it or not. I mean, that's, I think, the healthy bringing people together over the shit you're watching. As much as any fandom is healthy, I'm I'm kind of going to come into the hot take that like fandom is bad. <laughs> like being a fan of anything, I think, is like kind of inherently like not wrong but it's like it's kind of like the wrong way to like to critically look at movies and tv because like okay by my definition a fan is i'm sure there's other definitions it's not like the canonical one but a fan is somebody who enjoys a piece of artwork uncritically so like by like they just like they like the they like star wars they'll watch any piece of star wars content that comes out and they just like it because it is star wars not because it is good Mm -hmm. 
Um, that's what I think of. That's like my personal definition of what a fan is. Mm-hmm. And I think looking at art uncritically is kind of like, I don't know, it's just like the least interesting way to look at art. And also it means that you end up with those arguments with people who are like, oh, it's like fucking great. It's Star Wars. I love Star Wars. And you're like, no, like if you look at it, there's like bad acting or plot holes or just shitty writing or whatever. They're like, no, but I like Star Wars, so I'm going to like it. And I'm going to yell at you that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think fandom is gets like fucking annoying and toxic or whatever. Right. I mean, it's the um, I, I mean, I, th- I think th- I mean, I think that's fair that, you know, if you look, if you like something only because it's is it's Star Wars, for instance. Yeah, that's probably not the healthiest way of looking at art. But I think if you're self-aware about it, I think that's fine. The people who are just like, I just I grew up with this and I just enjoy it, even if I acknowledge intelligently that it with my brain that it's not something that's like good. Yeah. People who are. Can, OK. Can yeah, bow, that's true. Like, there's there are I think there's especially a lot of older Star Wars fans who have like taken that especially on some of the newer movies which are have been mixed result mixed uh, um reception among the, the star wars yeah core mm-hmm. uh then that's a lot of times what you get i mean yeah. i think in general fandom's weird because you it, it's just like kind of anything else where like you always hear about the loudest shittiest elements you know there's not going to be like news article about like a bunch of star wars people who just like met up to watch the movies in a park one summer and, and had a great time and wore Chewbacca hats. That's a great point. But there will be articles about like when they, you know, hurl horrific abuse at the actors yeah. in The Last Jedi because they disagreed with, with how their Luke gender was. or like because they didn't like Daisy Ridley because she was like a Mary Sue or whatever the hell. Right. Stupid yeah. ass thing they're talking about. Right. Yeah. When they like use their fandom as an excuse for for hatred and bigotry. Like, yeah, I think we can all agree that that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I under I think fandom's probably in a weird place in the culture in general because of how outsized a lot of these voices are but also i think it's you gotta like acknowledge that it is a problem with a lot of fandom yeah and then i guess okay so maybe maybe i have to walk my statement back a little bit because there is like i'm fine with like fandom especially if it's like in the kind of like self-aware way you're talking about we're like i know like it's not all great but i'm going to like it all because it you know checks the boxes of like the category of the thing i like yeah and then there's other there's the other version of fandom where it's kind of like smarks and wrestling where it's like I know that there are problems with it, but I can find my own way to to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it's the same as like watching movies are like so bad. It's good. Mm-hmm. Like that is kind of like a version of fandom as I just described it, where it's just like you like it because it's an action movie and it has these like dumb things and you're like deciding to have a different take on it than what is, you know, probably canonically true, which is that it's just a bad movie that was made by people that didn't know how to make a good movie. <laughs> I mean, it sort it kind of reminds me of your take on Bojack, which is that like you don't think it's a comedy because yes. you don't find it funny but you do find the dramatic parts of it more compelling yeah that's basically a headcanon or i don't know yeah you call it head, you've called it a headcanon before yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah it's like a real life headcanon basically yeah i mean yeah. which is again like kind of back to how i learned to read books as an english major in college which is essentially like you pick out the things you like and you analyze them and you find you find the ways that the book does something that you find interesting even if it didn't do it on purpose even if it maybe doesn't want to do it. You're just like, it's doing this thing. Yeah. And I'm going to explain why. And that's like an English paper, basically. Yeah. And then you can, I, I know, I just, so I like, I like doing that for TV. So I'm like, Bojack. I'm like, Bojack's a comedy. Like, I'm going to, I have these like reasons why I think that. I know it's not intended that way. And I know a lot of people. Bojack, people, not a comedy, you mean? Sorry. Yeah. Bojack's a drama. Whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Which again, my take is that it's funny. But, yeah. uh, you know, if yeah. you know, opinions, Mad I respect Mad you. Mad Men's the funniest show ever made. <laughs> so it, Mad Men is so funny. It's so goddamn funny. <laughs> the, like, not great Bob is one of the funniest lines ever. And it's unfortunate that you have to watch like four seasons of Mad Men to understand why it's funny. <laughs> I think more. I think it's at the end of season six. Because yeah. it doesn't, isn't, yeah, because that's when, um, uh, Bob, what's Bob's last name? 
James Wolk's the actor. Yeah, Benson. Bob Benson. Right. Yeah, Bob Benson is is a season. He's an introduced in season six. Right, because that's when they. It's after season. Oh shit! Yeah, it's really late because it's when they're like successful at the new office, like Sterling Cooper Draper Price, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they have like the second floor, like a real second floor. We're yeah. and we're getting into Mad Men talk, guys. I'm sorry. Um, I guess okay. How much? How much Mad Men do you have to watch to understand that joke? I guess certainly from the beginning of that season. Yeah, it helps to know who Bob is a little bit, and it, it really helps to know. I mean, the thing that it takes because like you know who Bob is because he's introduced that season. So you don't have to watch. You just have to watch that season to get not great Bob. I guess, in but theory, you have to know Pete's mom too. But you could just watch that season because that's that season is a lot of her meeting Manolo. So you you don't you wouldn't fully get all of Pete's mommy issues. Yeah, but you'd get all the plotline of her and meeting this guy. Yeah. So yeah, just I guess one to, one season. Yeah, which, to, yeah, and only like half a season because it doesn't happen at the end of the season. Yeah, and you could skip a few. I mean, I'm not a you. Season six, I think, is the weakest season of Mad Men. Although it does have some great stuff in it, like not great Bob, the Hershey speech. Um, I know you really like the crash, the one where they all do amphetamines. I like the I'm crash not, a lot. I'm not a huge fan of that. Episode. <laughs> Mad Men on Meth is great. I appreciate the swing. Yeah. You got to appreciate the swing. Yeah. Uh God, Mad Men is fantastic. Best um, show ever. Best show ever. I I I don't know. I I often worry that it's like gonna be forgotten, like by peak TV. Like yeah, not a lot of people are going back all, to watch it. Yeah, but I, again, this might just be a like a product of us just getting older. Like I'm sure that I mean all movies that are get forgotten by people who weren't born when the movie came out. Yeah. Like I'm sure there's a lot of like teenagers who don't know what the matrix is and it's like that's like what we would consider a classic movie at this point i mean there's yeah. also like whatever casablanca and stuff but like yeah. more recent movies that came out when we were kids that we think are classics yeah I've, i'm I've, sure are forgotten already but i watched some i read something I, I wish i could remember exactly but it talked a lot about how like just because like people don't like a lot of kids especially don't like watch tv yeah they don't just like flip on the chat so like a lot of those movies that like everyone's kind of seen yeah oh, oh this was uh it was just like a discussion about the latest rick and morty because they do a Die Hard parody and summer mm-hmm. has never seen Die Hard. yeah because she's like 17 it's like if you, it used to be on tnt all the time or tbs like if you had basic uh, yeah. cable a lot of these movies you just would just catch yeah and you'd have some understanding of them and like because the way we interact with media is so different it's so much more targeted and focused and less curated that's funny because i didn't have cable when i was growing up so i did i missed a lot of movies like that like i i guess i am that same way Mm -hmm. but then i like which kind of fueled me very deliberately going back and seeking out like kind of low status properties that i missed yeah but then also seeking out low status properties from like the you, 80, should, you, should, you should say lowbrow because of the, uh, the oh, low podcast brow. that we're on. Sure, yeah, yeah. whatever. Lowbrow properties. Um, why do I call it properties? That's so gross. Movies. <laughs> movies. We're not even talking about anything but movies. And TV, because I watch old TV. Oh, you do watch old. Yeah, yeah. I'm not as huge a huge fan of, of media. TV. We'll say media. media um, yeah. It's like when I, oh God, I was in like a, it was like a Netflix marketing meeting for one of the shows I was on. They kept on referring to the show as the product and it was driving me nuts. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, this is really depressing. <laughs> um. But, uh, oh, yeah, so then, like, because I missed just that kind of, like, ambient knowledge of these movies that came out when we were kids, and then also, like, movies that were kind of, like, our parents would have watched when mm-hmm. we were kids, I had to, like, deliberately go back and see them, which is kind of, like, why I go back and seek out, like, shitty John Waters movies or, like, weird 80, like, I don't know, like, I want to go watch Hard Target soon because yeah. it looks like a fun, shitty 80s, like, action movie. And so, like, I... Because my experience, I had to, in the same way that like you and me and most film people, when you're like, whatever, 
teenager, early twenties, you're like going back and seeking out like the fancy movies. Yeah, you want to you want to get to the canon. You want to learn the canon. Yeah, like you're you're looking up lists of like what are the movies I'm supposed to know about, mm-hmm. and then I, I kind of do that for like what are the you know the the, what are the lowbrow movies I'm supposed to know about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I look. I could talk forever about my anxiety that like films are being forgotten and you know the fact that people only engage with media through a few apps that are very very curated for new things means that old certain old a certain like more old movies are being forgotten than otherwise could have been but i'd also you know i mean like shit like there is a strong so subculture of film people who want to go out and seek stuff out well that's the other thing is i think i i sometimes have to remind myself that it, it's it really is mostly just film people even of like people our age that know about those movies. Like there's other people our age who it's not because they grew up without cable that they don't know about old movies. It's just because like unless you care about unless you care about movies, you're not gonna watch old movies. It's like for most I, people. I know I'm, I'm not I'm kind of thinking about like middle brow, highbrow movies, if that makes sense. You know, like the people who are gonna watch Casablanca are gonna be the people who are gonna watch Casablanca. But yeah. I was thinking about You're just, talking about like Shawshank or something. Yeah, or I was thinking about the movie Primal Fear. You ever see the movie? I actually haven't seen Primal Fear. Good so movie. Is, okay. Uh Richard Gere, Ed Norton, like just the kind of movie that like if you were just like passing by on block a blockbuster or mm-hmm. or on Netflix disc before it became as algorithmed. Um or we're just sort of a catch on TNT at the time. Like it's a good above average legal thriller yeah. with really strong performances and like stuff like that. That's probably not fancy enough to break through to like the film people seeking it out. Mm-hmm. And it's not marvelly enough or like, you know, like iconic enough. It's, you know, it's not going to be in like the gremlins, you know, it's like Mondo world. Yeah. I, I wonder if like, I, I, I fear that some of those, I have a primal fear that some of those <laughs> movies uh, may end up being a little more by the wayside, and that's a shame because Primal Fear fucking rules, and there's a lot of movies like that. Are we going to have to start a sister podcast where we just watch all the middle brow <laughs> movies that nobody cares about? Yeah, our solution to, to watching too many movies is we watch more movies. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's going to start off with a uh, series on the work of uh, fucking Opie. What's his name? Ron Howard. <laughs> yes. For what it's worth, this podcast exists. It's called The Rewatchables. Bill Simmons hosted. Ah, shit. Okay. It, it's, good. It's, it's all movies that are like, you know, rewatchable. Okay, or like so, you know, like dad movies. Okay, so we don't need to do that. They, no, these it guys, exists. These guys have it covered. Great. It's, it's a good podcast. I don't listen to it a lot because I don't listen to that many podcasts. Yeah. Um, and I just don't have time to get to that one. But what I do listen to, it's very fun. Yeah. All right. Shout out to Bill Simmons. I'm sure he needs the work. I don't know. He's doing fine. You're the real hero, Bill. Bill Simmons. Thank you. Um, Should we talk about? Feel like we can talk about our next topic now? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, video games. Yeah, not movies, not TV. Video I, games. I play. I feel like I've been playing more and more video games in the last couple years, mm-hmm. maybe just cause like I had like a really just like insanely stressful job for like the last six months. Yeah. And for me, it's like really like video games are very low on like my hierarchy of entertainment. Like I don't care about video games really on mm-hmm. like an artistic level. Like I'm not, I'm not going to do the Ebert like video games aren't art thing. I do believe that video games can be and often are art, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like how I feel about horror movies where it's like, there's good horror movies, but like most of them are bad and that's fine. Uh, I know you don't agree with that, but whatever. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I think by now the listeners know yeah. where, where I stand <laughs> yeah. on everything. Uh, that's kind of how I am about video games. I'm like, I've never... I know that a video game can have an engaging story. I've never played one with one. <laughs> and uh, as a result of that, like when I play video games, I just like hit A through every single cutscene ever because I'm in like a rage. Yeah. Uh, I actually stopped playing a video game because it had unskippable cutscenes. And like, Which one? It, it was the new Star Wars game. Oh, didn't even know there was a new Star Wars. Game. Well, I don't know. I don't. I'm not that point in the video. It was like Star Wars Jedi blankety blank something. I don't know. 
Jedi Fallen Order? Yes. Sure. Yeah, it was that one. Uh, that name is in my brain. Those words are in my brain in that order for some reason. I played it and had a very long platforming sequence, and I was <laughs> upset by that. And then it had a very long unskippable cutscene. I was like, I will not play this game. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, video games are lower in my hierarchy of entertainment. So weirdly, because of that, when I am extremely busy and stressed out, and I don't, I like if I, to watch like a TV show or a movie, I feel like I have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And with video games, I'm just like, I don't have to like give a shit. It requires literally no mental effort on my part. So if I'm like really stressed out coming home from work, I'll just play video games instead. Oh yeah. They can be really good. Like de-stressors. Like if you just like had like a tough anything. I mean, we, we play a lot of UFC four. Yeah. Which not art, not no. art. I, it's a hard line on that. Oh, and this is funny. Like the <laughs> the sister argument of how video games can be art is that video games can also be sports, which I believe and I think would enrage a lot of people. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, people I, get gate gatekeep you about things that have cultural meaning to them, but yeah, it, video games are sports. Okay. My I'm gonna get on my. I'm gonna. Get, I'm sorry. I feel get like on the high I, horse. Do I feel it. like I've been talking a lot. Saddle up. I've been, I've been like rambling a lot, but yours, I got my yours. one take on video games. Okay. I believe that video games are sports because I I feel like there is no like. 100% like canonical definition of what a sport is. So I feel like you the line you draw is just that it involves any physical activity. It is a game that involves physical activity. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, what differentiates a sport is just like using your body at all. Um, and it doesn't matter how hard it is or how much, how many calories you expend. It's just using your body. So as an example, chess is not a sport because you can tell a person to make the moves for you and still play a game of chess, you could be a brain in a jar and play chess. Yeah. Um, whereas, I don't know, hockey, you are using your body and you're using a lot more like physical expenditure than say, I don't know, fencing. Sure. Because fencing is just like a less, less like difficult sport, but we don't judge them based on how many calories you expend. They're both sports. Yeah. And I'm saying if you take that all the way down to like the logical conclusion is that Using your thumbs to control a video game makes it a sport because that is using your body. Yeah, and I think especially something people don't realize, like the, the micro game of like, you know, the macro game being like, you know, your strategy micros, like how quickly you can press the buttons. Yes. Is incredibly difficult. Like there is this thing in video game and esports where like older players age out yeah. quickly because just younger players can move their fucking hands fast. Yeah, reflexes are really big. Yeah. And the, and then so like the funny thing is like I don't even think that there there, there is often like that is a... Um, justification people have for why video games sports they're like oh it's hard i'm like i don't care if it's hard it's just there's this i have this empirical definition it's just like if your body is moving it is a and it is a game it is a sport do you ever have you ever listened to george carlin's routine about sports yeah it's like goes on about baseball for a long time right well, he has a whole bait so he has two he has the baseball versus football oh he has like there's like three sports is baseball something or something yeah baseball basketball and football the only sports and yeah. then he has reasons for why everything else is not a sport and they get increasingly dumber yeah and like he's obviously like not like real you know like yeah, he yeah. like soccer uh no dots on the ball <laughs> like gymnastics Romanians are good at it not a sport like it just like increasingly yeah. gets dumber and dumber that's really funny <laughs> which is like fine whatever like even if you were doing that seriously like, yeah whatever you, your opinion is yeah and it's so like I, the thing that bothers me about people saying video games aren't sports is that I feel like a lot of it comes from people who are sports fans who believe that it is like an insult to them that these people are doing this thing that they perceive as easier and that it devalues their thing they like yeah they're like oh like football you have to like be good at jumping high and do the combine and all the shit and you have to be like very physically fit to do it right yeah 
And they're like, well, if this thing's also sport, then that makes my thing mean less. And I'm like, I, it doesn't, that's not true. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not a zero sum game. It's a bad way of thinking about life, honestly. Yeah. Like they're, I mean, they're, them being in the same category as you doesn't make your thing worse. It just come down. I think it's just the mindset of like, you know, liking sports. I like, I I like sports like more more now than I did growing up, Mm -hmm. like watching them. Um, I don't like there's some people who are so into that that it's like a uh, you feel like you're in a cultural in group by being like I like watching these sports I like going to these football games whatever it is yeah and you know if you're so intent that that makes you special that that's something you take so much pride in like that means and then you look at people who like video games not you know like physical sports as a cultural out group suddenly getting grouped in with that just really fucks with your entire sense of self because you have this kind of shitty toxic way of thinking about anything. Yeah, and like a lot of it gets into like weird dumb masculinity shit where there's like, all high school oh, these are shit. like nerds and I'm not a nerd and right. I don't want the nerds to be part of my special group of guys who like watching adults play children's games. Right. It called I mean yeah, calling it a sport is not going to like I don't know, bring meaning to your life. Yeah. And also sports are dumb. Like, I don't <laughs> like, fuck you. <laughs> I, yeah, I have this take on video games as a person who like, doesn't give a shit about sports <laughs> in general. I'm just like, yeah, there are adults playing games designed for children. I don't care about it. Like, it's fine. They can do it and it's impressive, but like, whatever the fuck. I can't care about what a 22 year old is doing. So like, I can't, at all. I ever, so I can't, I can't care about NFL. Because I just can't, I don't, I can't, I physically can't give a shit about what a 23-year-old is doing, especially if they're playing a game. Right. <laughs> Unless they're acting in a thing that you like. Yeah. Even then, I like less, less than the others. <laughs> you're like, you're reverse Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, Leo loses interest when they hit 25. You, as soon as they hit 25, they come like, online. There you go. <laughs> Everything else was JV. Yeah. Yeah, but you are now, like, of value to our society. Do you ever watch any esports? It's something I've like tried to get into. I've before, tried. But it's, it's really hard to watch. It's very. It, it definitely feels like like okay. Like I like watching football. Mm-hmm. I played football like for like a few months once as a kid. I barely remember. Did not know how how it worked. Mm-hmm. So like I'd never really played it, but I have learned to watch and enjoy it. Yeah, I, I, mean, I watch a lot of MMA. I've never fucking done that. Yeah. Um, esports kind of feels like something you need to play a little bit of just to know what the fuck is going on. It's especially I, for stuff like League of Legends. Like maybe less for like Street Fighter. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's this funny thing where, um, I don't know, this is, I, I'm obviously not an expert in mm-hmm. esports because, you know, I don't watch it. Yeah. But when I was get trying to watch it, for me, what made it really difficult was that it's all POV from the players. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if you were watching a football game, but it was all just cutting between GoPros attached to their helmets, it would be unintelligible. Yeah. Unless you were like really knew what your, what fo- how did football works. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of my experience of it. Although I think, I think coverage of esports has probably developed a bit since I like first tried to watch it. Yeah. Because I think I've seen ones where they have like kind of floating cameras where they're kind of showing it. Yeah. I think that's that's definitely what I've seen. I've seen like StarCraft finals before where they do that, where they'll just have like like a third person, like like spectator person. Yeah. Being able to like choose who they're watching. Yeah. Um, like for me, it was watching the uh, the shooters was tough because oh, it's all POV stuff. I cannot watch shooters I, I that's why it's so strange that games like fortnite are such hits on twitch that like it just feels like it would give you a headache watching games like that although that's a third person shooter that's right? third person but it's still tough because it's just like from the point of view of one player so you just have so little visibility about what's going on in the game exactly like i want like a cinematic camera where you're showing like i don't know i want it to be more like a, like a movie where you're like well, yeah. cutting between the different places and like seeing kind of like i want to be able to see see stuff that the players can't yeah 
Funny, um, the one, maybe maybe, there, maybe that exists now. I don't know. One of the games that probably video games that probably makes more sense at, to to spectate is Hearthstone. Yeah, or like you know, uh, uh, digital card games where yeah. you can just see the players. It's like watching chess, basically. Mm-hmm. But now it's not a sport anymore. I actually, uh, according to my criteria, it's not a sport. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That's weird. It's a game. <laughs> I mean, it's a game, and games are great. Yeah. But I think, yeah, if you were like, if you were a brain in a jar, you could play Hearthstone, mm-hmm. and it would not, it would, and it like not, like because, and it wouldn't affect the play of it all at all like because like you'd be like okay i could be a game in the brain in a jar but i'm like controlling a robot that's playing football it's like okay but that's like drastically changing the game of football to include a robot but like hearthstone and chess don't change yeah or okay. poker yeah so here's a question just pivoting slightly just talking about video games mm-hmm. what are you mentioned you know you're not the roger ebert where you know he didn't believe video games were art which mm-hmm. if you have, you should go back and people who are still mad by that should go back and read those articles so i think they're actually are pretty well argued and like what his criteria are sure um, I, I remember I read them a long time ago and I, like, I didn't agree with him, but I wasn't mad about it either. There were people who were like, oh, he's just an old man who's yelling at a cloud and people were like, it's Roger Ebert. Like he's considering it. He just is not come to the same conclusion as you. And I disagreed with him, but I read his thing and I'm like, shit, he like really gave it the old college try. I think he did. I think he was being a little closed minded about it though, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, so what are some video games that you consider art? Fuck. <laughs> Never played that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like that I did that whole preamble at Rod Reaver for you to come out against him only to not have be able to think of one. Mist. 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 Oh, I've actually never played Mist. Mist is really good. Mm-hmm. Mist has like an interesting story. And it also like uh for those of you who don't know, because Mist is a game from like the nineties, it was like a um it's like a puzzle solving game where you're exploring an island and then you're kind of like uncovering mysteries through solving puzzles. Mm-hmm. It was like on like 15 floppy disks. Yeah. Um, it actually does have an interesting story. It doesn't tell it through cutscenes. It tells it through like actually exploring the world. And a lot of it's like based on books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the idea is that this guy has found a way to like create worlds by writing in a book and it like makes a actual world that you can go into and explore. Um, and so then you're like going through and you're like go through a library and you find a book and it's like describing his like journal from this like age that he created. And then later on you solve a puzzle that goes through a door and you go to that place. And then that's cool. And then there's like a lot of kind of story going on with like him and his sons and how they're interacting, how they kind of have this privilege because they like had these worlds that they had this like they kind of like rode on the coattails of his success because he's able to do this like magical thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like actually an engaging story that's interesting and it's not told through cutscenes; it's told through like exploring the world. So that's a game that is art. That's good. That's yeah, good. One. I, yeah. I've never played Mist. I know it's. I know it is very well remembered by people who played video games in the 90s. Yeah, there's a good um, Xbox remaster that exists now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, video games are cool. What about you? What's one for you? I mean, my the one I go to a lot, I've, I've talked it up before, uh, Psychonauts. And oh, Psychonauts yeah. 2. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I wrote a fucking video essay about this where there is the Psychonauts is great. What's so brilliant about it is there is a good story, there is a good narrative, there is good funny cutscenes, mm-hmm. but like so much of the meaning and the themes they're advancing are just through the level design itself and the yeah. worlds they're making you go through. Because in Psychonauts, the theme is you're jumping into people's heads and their brains are the platforming levels. Yeah, uh, and like their brains, the things that are wrong with their brains are the things that are wrong with the level, and that's kind of like there's a guy who's like basically super duper paranoid and like a conspiracy theorist and his mind is called the milkman conspiracy <laughs> it's like a 1950s like you know oh it's like a perfect little leave to your cul-de-sac but it's like twisted around and goes upside down in weird ways and everyone's constantly paranoid and like looking at you weird yeah that's great and yeah. that's telling story i mean i feel like we've had this conversation before kind of but it's like telling story through 
actually playing the game, which is making use of the medium, the right. strengths of the medium. And like you can do just, I guess you can just tell stories through through cutscenes and what you're doing and stuff. And I think often that's not really the video game's strength. And taking advantage yeah. of the fact that you have to go through the world are the ones that are the games that are more impressive. It would be like if the like HBO app paused and made you play like Frogger <laughs> and like was trying to tell you plot details through playing Frogger for Westworld, which I guess they kind of did because they had like an AR game. But like what? I mean, there's like Bandersnatch. Yeah, I know. That's kind of Bandersnatch. And that, well, it's not really a game. It's more like choices. I mean, I guess you can make an argument about what's that a game. Is, yeah. <laughs> that's like the most elemental level of a video game is just like selecting choices. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, and I I was... Did you like Spandersnatch? I was kind of medium on it. I enjoyed it. I think it was like... Um, I wouldn't say it's like... I mean, okay, so it's Black Mirror technically, and I don't think it hits the highs that Black Mirror is capable of. Yeah, it's like a fun experiment. It, yeah, yeah. There, there were elements of it that I thought were really strong. There's stuff that I think was not as good. I think the fun of it... I played it with a friend, and yeah. that was the best way to do it, I think, because you can just kind of talk about what choices are doing and comment on the, what your, the moves you're making. I feel like that yeah, got same. more out of it that way. I think if I did it myself, I'd probably be kind of bored. Yeah, and then I have trouble with those kind of things because having played video games for, you know, a lot of my life, I can you can kind of see where the choices are taking you and kind of like you're kind of metagaming. Well, it's kind of the um um it's like games like Fable, you know, the ones where you like you you take choices and that leads you to being a good or a bad person mm -hmm. and things like that. And it's usually like not very complicated. It's always like you walk into a room and it's like, "Do you want to kill this dog with a stick or give it a good home and donate more money to the poor?" And yeah. like you're just like, "Okay, I kind of know what I'm These are not like really real choices you get in real life. Like, you know, yeah. The comp what's complex about being in real life, you don't always know what the right choice is and you don't know what the effects are going to be. Yeah, exactly. And then the like other problem of that is when there's two choices but like neither one matters. Right, yeah. Um like the one that I ran into with that was um Oh God! There's like a lot of like kind of like the Bethesda games are kind of like that. Oh yeah, really? Right. You're kind of making choices, but it like doesn't really matter which one you do. Yeah, because they oh. don't want to lock you out of playing the yeah, game. Yeah, Cyberpunk was like that too. Because I'm like, you're like looking at this dialogue tree. You're like, I think one of these like dialogue options will give me like a special gun, and the other one won't, which is like the worst way to like play a dialogue section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But then it's like it require like a massively greater amount of development because you have to like program out all the different things which is like the problem with banner snatch is that it's the hardest movie to make because it's 85 hours for like you're like having to make 85 like not 85 but like you have yeah, to you make film like four times as much content yeah. than we are people are actually going to expect yeah you have to film 12 hours of content for like a one hour thing exactly yeah uh, so talk, talking about art to as video games mm. um i mean one of the big ones especially because it's like a big triple a game a game i have not i only played a little bit mm -hmm. uh bioshock oh yeah bioshock is really interesting because like it is just a fun triple a like shooter basically yeah um but then like there's uh, we're gonna spoil bioshock like skip so ahead if you don't are planning on playing the original bioshock yeah uh in the end it reveals that you are being manipulated by the villain to do all these tasks um and and that you have been kind of um like, like mind control yeah it's like the it's like the it's like with like sleeper agents where they have like a wake word that like makes them do stuff. Yeah. Classic Manchurian candidate situation. Exactly. It's Manchurian candidate. So it's that when he says this one phrase and then tells you to do something, you always follow it. And the funny thing is that like you have been doing that in the game because in games you follow what the game Whatever tells they say. you to do. Yeah, you just assume it's the right thing. And it's this funny thing where like weirdly the game has made you the player actually like inhabit the shoes of the character in the game in like a very clever way that is actually kind of exploring 
like the nature of video games in a very interesting way, which I love that part about Bioshock. Yeah, oh, it was a good game. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, like I said, especially rare for, for, I mean, well, the thing we always have issue with, we talked about is these AAA games, they just think that, you know, get the biggest, fanciest cutscenes and that will be yeah interesting. But something like Bioshock, which actually messes with your perception of playing the game and the big theme of Bioshock is free will, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's, and it's kind of this interesting, yeah, it's about free will and then like, you know, a linear game is essentially has a world in which predestination exists. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so looking at, we, we pulled up a list of just some r 2 video games. Mm-hmm. You, ever play, you ever play uh, Papers, Please? No, I think I'm going to have like not heard of, not played a bunch of these because I uh, generally, I'm not a huge video game guy, so I don't seek these out, but so this is what tell I me about Papers, about. Please. It is such a stressful game. You play a like border guard in like a communist country. I have heard of like this, a, yes. Like a dictatorship level communist country. And you just have to check people's papers as they go through a checkpoint. Mm-hmm. And you have to, like, you know, get them if they are, like, wrong, if they're, like, fake forged or whatever. Yeah. Um, and if you, like, get it wrong or if you miss some, you get, like, docked pay. Yeah. And then, like, you ha- in between the levels, which are, like, you know, a day, you have, like, a family who you're, like, trying to feed. And, like, <laughs> if you don't have enough money, like, they start to get sick. And, like, so you need to move a little faster because if you only catch, like, you know, if you only read, like, four papers a day. Yeah. Because there's a time limit. You don't get enough money to feed them, so you're going faster, but then you're making more mistakes. Oh. And like, there's like weird little things come up where someone will be like, "Please, like, they'll like bribe you." Mm-hmm. Be like, I got to get through. Like, my my family is sick, or like, or they'll not even bribe you. They'll just be like, "Someone is really sick." Yeah, and I need to get through. I know this is a fake passport, but then like sometimes they let them through and it's fine. Sometimes they let them through and it's a plant, and then you get like fucking arrested. No, oh, that's wild. Uh, it is actually a. It is such a limited like point of view. All you're doing is like at the like. You're at your station and looking at papers or you're like, it's a little just like text screen. It's like you four kids have like malaria or whatever. That's <laughs> <laughs> dysentery. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's like really brilliant and stressful and like scary. That's and really like interesting. It really puts you in that mindset of like how dystopian that kind of thing would be. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. Cool. I need to play that. Yeah. Cool ass game. Yeah. <laughs> uh uh, you got any more on that list? Oh yeah, sure. the the Stanley Paradox. I don't know if it's I don't like, even know that one. Oh, it's very fun. It's you. Uh, um, you're in like a office, and there's a narrator, and it just describes everything you're doing. Oh, and it tells you what to do, and yeah. you can listen to it or not. And it's there's a bunch of different endings. It's very funny. It's very meta and self aware. It's like basically like stranger than fiction, where like there's like the writer is like describing you, and you can like fuck around with it and it's just it, it's it's more of like a little brain teaser for about an hour and a half than like a full-fledged game but oh that reminds me of a game that's much like that that i consider to be art it's mm-hmm. called don't poop your pants and okay. it is a flash game in which you type in commands you are a man who has to poop okay and you have to type in commands in order to eventually get him to successfully poop okay and uh it's very funny it's <laughs> it's like it gets really it's like very nitty-gritty about what it considers to be like the correct order to do things because like you can like or yeah, he's like standing outside the bathroom. You're like, you type in like open doors. Like you open the door. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm paying all this. this game's easy. And you like walk in. You're like walk in. You're like, okay, cool, yeah. yeah. And then you're like, all right, sit on toilet. And you're like, you're like you sit on the toilet. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna fucking get this. Like poop. And then you realize that you forgot to take your pants off. So you just like shit your pants <laughs> while sitting on a toilet. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, I have to like really describe every single process. It's like, it's like when you're like talking to somebody who doesn't know how to do something. And you realize that like. You There's a lot of steps. Little, you got a little skips in your head. Yeah, it's yeah because you're like, oh yeah, so like someone's like, how do I get you know food? You're like, oh yeah, you just like go to the store and buy it. And you're like, okay, where's, where's the, the store? store? <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> what do I use to buy it? <laughs> what what is a credit? I... What's a credit card? Yeah, <laughs> it's like stuff like that, and you realize like how many different like little processes there are to any like simple action. <laughs> Sounds like art. <laughs> it's art, and it's also very funny. 
Uh, and one of the other things we can maybe get into or not, there's a lot of games I think that are very interesting art styles and really mm, put yeah. you in, are really good for show. I mean, Cuphead is one that I think is very famous for this. Yeah, it's like kind of the old school. Yeah, like it's like 40. the Max Fleischer cartoons. Yeah. Or you have stuff like Braid or Journey or like games that like have these very, well, Braid not so much, but things like Journey or, um, uh, I forget the name, I'll look it up, but it, there's like, it's a lot of platforming games where the world design is really artistic and interesting and beautiful, but it is kind of just a platformer. Yeah. I remember like Alien Hominid was kind of like that, but yeah. in like a goofy way. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's your uh, Hades game? That's like that. Oh yeah. Hades is great. Yeah. Ba- uh, Bastion is, mm-hmm. uh, well, Bastion I think is actually very artistic and actually in how it, another game with a narrator actually yeah. uh, but really takes you through a really interesting world and like as you step around the, the tiles come up and like so the world only exists what's on your screen oh, okay um but yeah that, i mean even then just art style wise like mm-hmm. things like hades are like really beautiful and interesting oh yeah there's one called control that i kind of like for that reason it was like the whole thing was like it's like a supernatural conspiracy where like you work at this like fbi it's like the fbi but for supernatural shit mm-hmm. um but you're like in their headquarters building but it's like this like weird building that kind of like exists in this like liminal space where it has like an infinite amount of space within it and it's like the geography of it is all just like all strange and like it's moving like it's moving around and it's also like very kind of like seated in like the brutalist style of architecture mm-hmm. and it's like you're re- very big on brutalism i want a fucking brutalist house i want a brutalist beach house that is like if i become like a billionaire i'm getting like a big ass concrete block that's like <laughs> emerging from the beach like a giant fucking obelisk that i'm gonna like run out of and go surf out of uh yeah damn i don't know i'm not a huge brutalism guy but i know that's something you're very passionate about yeah it's uh you know it's like contemporary it's it's modern it's modern architecture that's very concrete focused <laughs> Uh, any other shout outs we want to do some some video game I feel like we've uh, really oh I thought of like a fun example of like a kind of like sideways take on games that can be art oh yeah uh, um, I was thinking about how I, I there's like so like another there's the counter argument to kind of Ebert's take we'll use him as like the example, as the guy as yeah. the guy sure uh, so one of them is like you point out these games like this list we pointed out of game video games that are art and I think you can also go the other way you can point out art the things that are considered art like canonically yeah. that are games. Mm-hmm. So um, let's take like Marina Abramovic, mm-hmm. who's a, like one of the most famous successful, per- maybe the most famous performance artist. Yeah, probably the most famous performance artist. Um, she did the artist is present, which is probably one of her greatest or at least most famous works where like she was sitting at a table. There was a bunch of objects in front of her on the table and you can, there's a line for the, uh, the guests can go and they can sit in front of her and they can kind of interact with her in whatever way they mm-hmm. want. And there's a lot of things on the table um, including like scissors and like a gun and like it's very intense yeah. and she just sits there silently and stares at you and it's basically becomes a choose your own adventure game it's kind of like those like escape the room games yeah. where you're like what can I do here like I can pick up the scissors and I can like cut off like you're, you're discovering what you're allowed to do basically yeah. and I think like some people will like take the scissors and like cut off a little piece of her hair or like one person like Oh, this might not was it the artist? No, never mind. Was, I think it might have been earlier than the artist is present. Mm-hmm. The artist present, I think, is just like you're sitting at the table in front of her, right? And it was like an earlier piece. I have to look it up, but um, but anyway, there she did have a piece where you were sitting in front of her with a bunch of objects on the table, mm-hmm. and like some people like cut off her clothing, and some people like slapped her, and you re- and this this thing that like it was an art piece that kind of like revealed like when people are like discovering what they're allowed to do, how they can immediately like, very quickly become like horrible, right? Um. And it's a, but that was essentially a choose your own adventure game, but mm-hmm. it was a performance art piece. So like that is a thing that we all consider to be art. That is a game, I think. Yeah, I mean, what about stuff like uh, um, on the like like stuff like Meow Wolf? 
Right. Oh yeah, like like really big like art installations. Where but you would you consider that through. a game? I mean, I, I had to like do tasks and solve mysteries and like unlock like plot. That's true. Yeah, I mean, well, you can see it as a game. Yeah, true. <laughs> Although that's not so much like I'm. You're not like changing the world so much as revealing things. But I did have to like do mini games and like solve tasks and walk and like solve mysteries and shit. Oh, and then um, just a quick correction. So it wasn't the artist's present as the piece, the art piece I was talking about. It's called Rhythm Zero, which mm-hmm. is the one where there's a long table with a bunch of objects, and then Marina is standing in the room, and she just stands there totally still, and will allow you to, will allow people to do whatever they would. Yeah. Uh, the artist's present is just her sitting at a table, and you sit in front of her, and she'll just stare at you. Right. That's the one that Shia LaBeouf did a a, re, a, re, a remix. A yeah. He, of, yeah. A he kind of did like a rip off of it, which is like sure. Yeah, was, I mean, that's like what people in art school do. Yeah. And it's fine. It's interesting because he's Shia LaBeouf, so that adds a twist to it. Yeah. yeah. So I I, 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 I kind of supported Shia LaBeouf's like weird aborted art career, even though I don't think his art pieces were like the best, but it's because he, he was new at it, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, we're trying it out. Yeah. Uh, you know what's great? The mm. Documentary Now episode about Maria Abramovic. It gets... It really just gets it. It's, it's so, so funny. I mean, that's the thing about a documentary now. It just gets it. Yeah. And they also are usually like good, like some of the like good story. Like that one is like a good story. Mm-hmm. Like it really pays off by the end. Yeah. Uh, in addition to being a good parody. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Rex? Let's do some Rex. Get the fuck out of here. All right. You have a recommendation. Yeah. So it's a uh, live comedy show in Los Angeles. Uh, it's called The Shaky Town Shakedown. It's a variety show at the Pack Theater in Hollywood. It is uh, put on by Storm Chasers, uh, one of whom is our good friend Andrew Pish, who's a really talented improviser, and uh, Travis Cox. Yeah. Travis Cox. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. Should we start over so that I don't reveal <laughs> that I forgot his last name? <laughs> That's okay. I mean, it, it, yeah. Tra- yeah. Andrew Pish, Travis Cox. It's tra- tra- Andrew Pish, Travis Cox, and then it's a variety show, so they also bring up several other performers. So you got your stand-up, you got... I guess clowning was maybe what the category of the we went to it last night. Right. And there was there was a guy who was it was like a um it was like an alt comedy. It piece. was a very anti comedy. Well not anti it was just very strict like alt cringe comedy. Like yeah. pushing the boundaries of cringe comedy. Yeah, it was like an alternative comedy piece that was like I don't I don't know how much of it was improvised or how much of it was anyway, it was really good. Yeah. Um then there was some st- and improvised then some, stand-up. Some stand-up and then also yeah, some improvised stand-up, some traditional stand-up. They do. They have a lot of different stuff. They're on the third Thursday of every month. Um, if you want to look them up online, uh, you can find them through their Instagram account uh, for the Storm Chaser, which is Andrew's um, improv team. It's Storm Chaser Improv. You know, Storm Chaser, like the people who chase storms, improv. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, like we normally do. And uh, it's a good-ass show. Every way, we went there last night, and I was, like, going nuts. It, it was, was really funny. It was really, really great stuff. Uh, especially, yeah, if you want to do some comedy LA, that's really... Uh, like really different, it's a really good curated set of set of comedians. Yeah, uh, really check it out. And it's like a ten dollars show, and it's like in a fifty person theater. It's a if you're not like a comedy person, and you haven't been to a lot of shows like that, go to one because it's really fun. It's yeah. a different experience from like even from like going to like the comedy store, which yeah. is like it, this is more this is like a very intimate fun thing. Yeah, uh, my rec, uh, which I feel bad is not a friend of ours, um, is uh, Benjamin Clementine. He is a uh, musician. He's a friend of ours now. Uh, I would love. He seems like a really cool dude. Nice. Uh, he uh, is a musician from England. He does very. It's really just him, the piano. Uh, so I guess singer songwriter is the style, but neoclat. It, I don't really know the genre, but it's just him, the piano. It's very, very beautiful music. Uh, he, I noticed him. He did the vocals on the song "Hallelujah Money" by the Gorillas. Oh, cool. Uh, just Gorillas, not the fucking casual over here. <laughs> Um, but, uh, really got into a lot of his stuff and I'll put a link in the show notes for that too. I really recommend it. Um, 
And I don't know. I don't. I can't really like describe the music any better. It's just fucking good, and you should listen to it. Nice, Cooper. What should the people rate, do at home? review, subscribe? Somebody give us a rating. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> give us a review. Yeah. Ah, want You can say mean things about us in the review. As long as it's five, five stars, stars, I will support it, and we will read it on the show. Screw it. Follow us on Instagram. Follow, Follow us on TikTok. TikTok HBLB podcast for both. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. All that. Goodbye. Nonsense. Bye forever. forever.